I read a statistic that said 90% of people who visit national parks do not get off pavement. 90% who visit national parks don't get off pavement. Now, some probably have an excuse. You know, some probably are unable to get out of their vehicles and hike or ride bicycles or jog or whatever you do to go and see the sites and experience these national parks. But I would venture to say in that 90% are some very able-bodied people who are just satisfied looking from the window. They're content just driving through. Maybe, maybe there are some, uh, as I was talking with someone who visited Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons recently, maybe there are some that have maybe seen it before, and so just they just feel like a quick drive-through will be enough. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? The foundation of the Christian life, the foundation of the gospel, is the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning, this morning, as we're going to take a closer look at the cross, and as we're going to take a closer look at what Christ has done, if you will go, get out of your comfort zone, and look. If you'll get out of the car, you'll be blown away. You'll be amazed. You'll get to experience the awe and the beauty. You'll be mesmerized by this text and by this moment. The journey into this text, the journey into the cross of Christ, never gets old and it never gets boring because it is so majestic, it is so big, and it is so meaningful. It's beyond our comprehension in reality. But the problem, the problem, is that I see many Christians who lose focus. They lose this sense of awe. They lose this sense of wonder. And they can just read a text like this or spend time in a text like this and have an attitude of like, oh, I've, heard that before that as Christians a lot of times we can get so focused on other things things of this world power prestige money worldly joys worldly pleasures that the gospel becomes very secondary to us oh we can quote John 3:16 but even in our quotation of that great verse We're not seeing and experiencing the wonder. I grew up in, the, in a Southern Baptist church. Uh, I grew up actually going to the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, so many people who know that about me have asked me questions about things that have happened recently. With, If you've seen the news with some of the things that have gone on and the report that came out with... Uh, the scandals that have involved so many pastors and some men that I've looked up to. And so some people have asked me, how in the world does something like this happen? 
And it's pretty easy that any of us, any of us, when we lose sight, when we lose sight of this gospel, when we lose sight of our Savior, when we lose sight of of who we are and how much we are loved by Him, when we lose sight of this and start to focus on other things, like maybe even building our own kingdom through religion or through church or through these sorts of things, when we lose sight of that, any of us, any of us can take that kind of plunge and that kind of fall. One of my favorite places to visit um, is Moab, Utah. I don't know if you've been there, but it's beautiful. I mean, you drive into Moab, go past the, the, you're now entering Moab, Utah. I don't know if that's what the sign says. But when you, as soon as you get into Moab, um, Arches National Park is right there on your left. And it is beautiful. It's fantastic. And when you hike, you don't have to go very far, but when you get out of the car and get on the path, you don't go very far, and you're just amazed and overwhelmed by the beauty of the landscape and and the greatness and vastness of this wonderful creation. And I wonder how silly we would think it was, or we would think it is, if you were to take the trip out to Moab and you stay in the Motel 6 like I did, and instead of going out to the Arches National Park, you spend all of your time swimming in the Motel 6 swimming pool. And you come back and we say, how was your trip? It was grand. That pool was awesome. Maybe even worse, maybe even worse, what if you took the effort, you got out of the car, you went on the hike, but the whole time your focus was getting some selfies to send to other people. And so instead of taking in the landscape and taking in the beauty, your worry was about, how do I look in this photo? Silly, isn't it? But it is a metaphor. It is a metaphor that if our focus gets off, if our focus shifts from the main thing, if we don't see the grandeur and the beauty and the majesty of who God is and what He has done for us, then this subtle shift occurs inside of us and we can make a shipwreck out of our life. And we miss the joy, the beauty, and the awe of walking with Christ on a daily basis. This morning, we're going to look at this cross. And I want you to see it. Some of you may be for the first time. To really see it. To get out of the car. To experience what's going on. And as we look at the cross, it's such a mixture of horror and tragedy and glory and love and mercy and grace. And if you'll journey, if you'll journey, if you'll take the hike, if you'll journey with me, you won't be the same. You can't be the same. You'll learn things about yourself and you'll learn things about our God that will blow your 
socks off. And so my prayer this morning is that if you've never experienced a look at Christ and the cross, that this morning that God may open your eyes and that you may see the wonder and the beauty for the first time and that you may put your faith and trust in this Christ who died upon this cross for you and for your sin, that that may be your journey this morning. And for others, I pray that if you have already made that decision, that as we take this journey, that you will be reminded of the beauty and the glory of God, our Father, loving us in such a way that He gave His Son so that we can have access to Him. As I was reading these verses this morning, I I don't know what your experience was, but as I've been meditating and reading these verses, one of the things that has happened is that there's a verse that kind of seems out of place. I don't know if that happened to you or if you've, you don't, you probably don't take time and read through this passage as much as I do because you don't have to preach it. But when you do that and you're meditating on a, on a, on a number of verses, one of the things that happened is that kind of odd things stick out. And as you're reading this passage and as you're reading in the way that Mark writes, you've got this, what I'm calling this Mark and flow that Mark is writing and you're getting this passage. And really, at the beginning of the first 10 or 15 verses or so, what you get is all the insults. And Mark is writing and it's like, this person's insulting Jesus and this person's insulting Jesus and this person's insulting Jesus. The religious leaders are mocking him. The criminals beside him are mocking him. The bystanders are are mocking him. The priests are mocking him. Over and over and over. And then, then, there's another way to look at it. And I think it's a perfectly justifiable way to look at it. It's the way we looked at it last week. That as we're reading this, we see Psalm 22. If you were with us last week, we looked at Psalm 22 and we see that this passage is just dripping in the psalm. That Jesus' quote on the cross is from the psalm. That many of the phrases that Mark uses are from Psalm 22. And you see it and it's all over the place and it's there. And we saw, like we did last week, that when we, when we look at that in that way, we see that even in Jesus' dying, that we see hope. So we see in His last words, as He's there on the cross, He's fulfilling the Scriptures. He's accomplishing a mission. But then there's this other thing. All of that flows. All of that makes sense. And there's this odd thing that sticks out to me. And the odd verse that sticks out to me, and it's in all three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, meaning that it's important, is verse 38. Look at verse 38. So think about it this way. The setting and the scene is Jesus on the cross in Golgotha. And then we get verse 38 in the veil of the temple, and then it comes back to Golgotha when the centurion. It's a little odd. It sticks out. And notice what is said. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Significant. It's important. This temple, this veil, was the centerpiece of Judaic religion. This veil is thought to be 75 to 85 feet tall. Several inches thick. Three to four inches thick. That's a thick curtain. 
And, and the purpose of this veil was to separate, to separate people from God. Within the temple, you had the Holy of Holies. And within the temple, you had God's very presence dwelling there within the temple. But man and woman, because of sin, could not go into the Holy of Holies. So there had to be something that kept man out. And that was this curtain. That was this veil. And you know, if you've read the Bible, that several times a year, that the priest could go in through the veil and offer sacrifices and and do some, some rituals. But the priest couldn't just go in. The, the priest had to take care and had to go through ritual cleansings himself to, go, to even go in. And it had to be the priest is from a certain bloodline, from a certain family. There's all these regulations. And when we see that, we see the holiness of God. That God is holy. That He is other. And that we, God's people even, the, the Jews could not go in because we were sinful. So there had to be a separation. And so when we read in this text, the veil of the temple was torn. This is massive. This is massive. When the veil of the temple was torn, it meant there was no more need for separation. In some ways, the irony of this is that the accusation against Jesus was that He was going to destroy the temple. And in reality, at the point of which He died, the temple was destroyed at this point, not physically, but the need for the temple was abolished. God no longer was dwelling in the temple. When that, temple was when that veil was torn, at the time of Christ's death, Access to God became open to all. There was no more need for sacrifice. Christ's death was sufficient. His sacrifice covered our sin. There was no more need for a priest to go into the temple and to pray and to do anything for anyone. Because of Christ's resurrection, our high priest became our Savior. Even in the epistles, the Apostle Paul dares to say things like, your body is the temple of God. There's a word here. There's a word here that I, I want to point out in this verse. It says, and the veil of the temple was torn. Now, if you've been with us for... I don't know how long we've been in Mark, but if we go all the way back, you remember that sermon I preached in Mark chapter 1, right? You remember that, that sermon I preached about Christ's baptism, don't you? You do, right? Yeah, good. Thank you, Austin. You're tracking with me. What's interesting is that this word torn is used two times in Mark. It's used here, and the other time it is used in Mark is in chapter 1. At Jesus' baptism. Let me remind you of this. I'm going to start in verse 9. It says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming out of the water, 
He saw the heavens opening. This is the word opening or being torn in the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And if you remember, I know you do, when we studied this passage, one of the things that we looked at is this word that the heavens were torn was an allusion back to the book of Isaiah where the prophet was saying, oh, that God would tear the heavens and come down. And so when we looked at this verse where Jesus was coming to be baptized, one of the things that we saw was that the author Mark was telling us that the heavens had been torn and that when we see Jesus at his baptism, we are seeing God in the flesh himself. God has come down and he is dwelling among men and women. So that as we look at his ministry, we are seeing the fulfillment of all of what we want and we desire. And that is God dwelling with his people. And is it any accident that here we get at the very time of his death, as he breathed his last, that these curtains, same words, were torn. That God has come down. Not only has God come down in the flesh, in Christ, and come and dwelt among us, but that in that tearing, in that coming, something great and significant has happened. When it says in this verse, that the veil of the temple was torn. This is in the passive voice. And, and, and we call this the divine passive, which means that it's something that God did. God tore the heavens and came down and sent His Son. And here we have God tore the temple and provided access. That God has made a way. And that temple, that veil was never mended because it was never meant to be the thing that God has made a way that all of you, all of us who believe have complete and total access to Him. One of the things that one of the many things that I, I think we've got to see when we study the cross. We will never see the beauty and the wonder of the cross if we don't see the depth and the significance of our depravity, of our sin. If we don't understand sin, our sin, we'll never see and glory in the majesty of the cross. How often do we replace the word sin? How often do we use words like, I made a mistake? Or an error? Or I took a wrong turn? I had a good friend I was dining with one time, and they had a three-year-old child and their three-year-old child, I've told you this before, was going to eat off another table. And I said, oh, no, no, no. And the parents said, oh, we don't tell our daughter no. They said, do you? And I'm like, yes. 
And part of the reason that I tell my daughter no is because she needs to know that she's a sinner. This is the most loving thing that I can do in my child's life. And point her to a Savior. But one of the things that we've got to understand is that sin is horrific. It's so horrific that the Bible tells us that the wages, the penalty of sin is what? Death. So what comes to your mind when you consider how Jesus was treated during this time? We've talked about that it was a bogus trial, that he was completely innocent. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. And the fix was in from the very beginning. This was a bogus trial. He didn't get a fair shake. They spit on him. Slapped him. Beat him. There's a thought that maybe one of the reasons why the disciples didn't recognize him post-resurrection is because He was so badly beaten. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. They shamed him. They hung him on a cross. A thief's cross between two thieves. And he died the most horrific death that you could imagine. In fact, a lot of scholars believe that if we were there that it was so egregious that you would faint. What happened to him was pure evil. Pure evil. He didn't deserve it. What we have to see is that we deserved it. We've got to see this. We know this intellectually, I think. But one of the things that you have to see is that your sin is so bad that this was the cost. He took on my sin. He took on my punishment. So when I look at the cross, and when I... Consider the cross and the horrificness of the, the, the tragedy and the pain and the suffering. It was my sin that put him there. If we don't realize the depth of our sin, we'll never understand the depth of the beauty and the glory of what happened on that cross. We'll never understand We'll never understand the depth of the mercy and the grace and the love that God had for you. Because if we just think that our sin is a mistake or just a wrong turn or that everybody does it, Christ's death just becomes some event, some myth, rather than what it was. You'll never rejoice. You'll never sing. 
You'll never glory and you'll never live like one who has been saved from sin if you don't understand what you're being saved from. Now, another thing that I think happens sometimes in Christian life when it comes to our sin is that sometimes we get so focused on our sin, so focused on our depravity, that we never look up and see the cross at all. That we don't understand, that we don't look up and see, that we're just walking around with, oh, I'm just a poor sinner. I'm a dog. And we never get to the other part. The veil has been torn. Your sin has been paid for. You are God's child. He calls you son and daughter. He doesn't want you to walk around like that. He wants you to celebrate this relationship. To walk in the joy of the forgiveness of your sins so that when we see the cross, we see our life. But many times we ask, act as if we've been so bad that we can't be saved. And this is a lie from the pits of hell. It's a lie from the pits of hell. Because when we see that cross, we see a sinless Savior whose death was sufficient to save you. Let's jump back for just a minute to this, this word. This word torn. Like I said, we saw it at the baptism. We see it here. And I want us to journey back to the book of Isaiah chapter 64 for just a moment. I want you to see what God is up to in this passage. So in verse 1, we get the phrase and we see and we hear the depth and the desperation here. Oh, that you would rend, tear the heavens and come down. You hear the desperation. You hear the cry. God, rend the heavens and come down. We need your mercy and we need your help. Look at the second part of this verse through verse 4. That the mountains might quake at your presence. We see the holiness of God here. As fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things which we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From the days of old they have not heard or perceived by ears. We see the holiness. We see glimpses of salvation. And as we keep reading, we see sin in the midst of this holiness. You meet Him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. Behold, you were angry, for we sinned. We continued in them for a long time. Shall we be saved? For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy garments, and all of us wither like a leaf, and, on, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is none who calls your name, who arouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us. You have delivered us into the power of our iniquities. We see, see what sin looks like in the face of the Almighty. And one of the things that I love about the Bible is conjunctions. 
Don't you love conjunctions? This is my favorite one. Verse 8. We see the effects of our sin. That we've been driven from Him. But. But. Now, O oh Lord. I love this. You are our Father. We are the clay and you are potter. And all of us are the work of your hand. And I love that here in the Old Testament, as Isaiah is talking about in the midst of judgment, that he says these words, you are our Father. And it reminds us of Romans where Paul says that the Holy Spirit in us bids us to come and call Him what? Abba, Father. This intimacy, this closeness. And in verse 8, and verse 9, I mean, notice the uncertainty here. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Behold, look now, all of us are your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire and all our precious things have become a ruin. Then listen to these verses. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will the judgment continue? Or will you restrain your things from these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us beyond measure? And in verse 38 of our passage, we see that the answer to that is no. It's no. He's torn the curtain. He is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And when we think of God tearing the curtain and destroying the separation, it's forever. It's not like this portal in some science fiction movie that you have a ring and the portal opens and then it closes and you got to race and get there if it opens or closes no because of the fact that sacrifice of jesus the veil is torn and we have access to him forever he has done it he is not far off there is no separation for those who are in christ jesus and so the question that you have to ask yourself this morning is will you get off the pavement? He's not hiding. He's there. He's here. And He's calling you. He's calling you into the wonder. He's calling you into the amazement. He's calling you into the joy. He's calling you into the awe of His presence. And how many of us, like the C.S. Lewis quote, are far too easily, far too easily satisfied with earthly things? C.S. Lewis calls them mud pies. How many of us are so all too satisfied with making mud pies when we could be having a holiday at the sea? I don't know what percentage of people who read this account of the cross will stay in the car, but the question you have to ask yourself is, will you be amazed at the gospel? 
Will you be amazed at the gospel? Will you be amazed at the love that God has for you? Will you be amazed that you have access to the God of the universe? Will you be amazed that He bids you to come and call Him Father? Let us look to Him and live. And like I said at the beginning, my prayer is is that some of you maybe for the first time this morning see Christ for who He is. See God in His holiness, you in your sin, you recognize your need, and what the Scripture tells us is all who call upon Him will be saved. That you just have to cry out to Him, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Christ died for my sins. I want to see you for who you are. And God will answer your prayer. And for the rest of us, the question I have for you is, will you walk in the joy of your salvation? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, grace and love and mercy beyond all measure. We can't even begin to fathom the depths of what's in this text. Of what's in this one verse of the veil being torn. The very fact that we can sit here this morning and pray to you is a direct result of what your son has done. God, I pray. God, I pray. That we would see the glory and the beauty of and the majesty of what is happening in this text and what you have done. And that we would see and experience the joy and the awe and the wonder of being one of your children. All of this is only through your Son who died for us that we may have access to you. It's in His name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.